Well, good morning, friends, and happy Mother's Day uh, to you yet again. Thankful, so grateful for all the mothers who are here this morning. Maybe you're here with your mama, uh, no matter what brought you here or who brought you here. We are glad that you are here. Uh, what a great morning thus far. Thanks to all those who have participated. Just, a, just an incredible morning. Uh, what a way to kick this day off. Uh, before we get started, kind of in our series, uh, the story in chapter 20 today, I want to let you know this. Uh, you kept telling me last summer that it can snow on Mother's Day. You kept saying that. And I took your word for it. I believed you then. You didn't have to prove it. Okay, you just didn't have to prove it to me, but you did. You know, you, you went ahead and you did that. Uh, but we'll try to get through this crazy weather. Hopefully we'll see the sun again soon. Are we seeing it yet? It's kind of out there. She does exist behind those clouds. Again, thank you for being here this morning. We're currently in a sermon series entitled The Story, where we're trying to get all the different stories of Scripture and see how they fit together in chronological order, but also how they fit together just in the grand story of Jesus, how they fit together even in our story, Hope that you're being blessed and challenged and changed by our series. If you haven't yet, pick up one of the copies of this book in the foyer. We'd love for you to read along with us as we continue it. Uh, in light of Mother's Day, we're going to switch things up just a little bit. We're going to do chapter 20 instead. Uh, we're on, on track to do 19, but I hopefully, uh, hopefully you got the message this past week. We got the memo. We're switching up 19 and 20 because today I want to talk about the faith of an amazing woman. And it seems appropriate to do that, uh, a woman named Esther. So, if not, you're already ahead of your reading for next week, but go and read uh, Esther for me. Let me pray, though. What kind of a special Mother's Day prayer. As Rebecca said, today can be a day that brings up a lot of different emotions for a lot of different people. So let me just uh, offer up a prayer that hopefully uh, will cover us and speak for us on a day like today. Let's pray. God, we thank you uh, just for today, for the beauty of it, the opportunity to be together in it. Thanks for the opportunity we have to be together, to worship you, to Study your word together, Lord, to be infused by your spirit, to be reminded of what's most important. And thank you that today, Lord, we get to honor mothers, uh, our mothers and the mothers amongst us. Lord, we know that this day is a very bittersweet day for many, uh, for those who lost their mother over the last 12 months. We just ask for your comfort to come into their life. For those mothers who lost a child over the last 12 months, we ask for your peace to come into their life. For those who've been trying to become a mother over the last 12 months without any success, we ask for your patience to come into their life. And for those who didn't have a good relationship with or really any relationship with their mother, we ask for your mercy. We thank you, God, for the women that you have placed in our lives, the mothers that we've all had that have taken good care of us, that have sacrificed for us and really given us a glimpse of who you are. Uh, give us a greater glimpse now of all of those things and then please Bless this day, bless the mothers amongst us, and bless us as we study your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we used to live out in Malibu, California, carrying our cross for Jesus out on the beach. It's a great place to carry the cross for Jesus. Uh, but we would occasionally run into a few celebrities. Rich and famous people like to frequent that place or live in that place. So one time we're having frozen yogurt, and the entire crew of Everybody Loves Raymond walks in. That was pretty cool, pretty cool. One of my favorite shows. And that brother, if you know the brother, you can't miss him. Uh, so that whole crew was there. And then one day we went to a birthday party at my daughter's preschool. And wouldn't you know it, it was for Mel Gibson's daughter. So Mel, we're on first name basis now, he was three people down from me. We're singing happy birthday to his daughter. And he's in a kilt and his face is blue and he's yelling like, Frida! Okay, he wasn't. I wanted to do that. But I thought given the context, it would have been embarrassing. So every once in a while, I stumbled across or noticed a celebrity amongst us in Malibu. But more often than not, I was completely clueless to who was rich, who was famous, and who 
wasn't. Once I was having lunch with someone, we turned to leave, and my buddy says, did you see who was sitting behind you at the restaurant? No, that was Matthew McConaughey. I said, well, he looked like your average homeless guy to me. (laughs) Proving to women everywhere that I'm an idiot. But you see, what happens in Malibu can sometimes happen in life, can't it? And it can happen when you read the Bible. You can miss the importance of certain characters. You can be oblivious to who is around you, who might be sitting right next to you. Let me show you what I mean as we dive into chapter 20 of our story. Every great and unforgettable story is filled with great and unforgettable characters. And the same is true as it pertains to the story of Esther. The first character we have is King Xerxes. Yes, guys, the one from 300, that guy. See, a few weeks ago, we learned about the Babylonian Empire. It was a nation that was ruled by a very ruthless man named Nebuchadnezzar. Well, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians captured a lot of people in their attempt to overtake the world. And one little group that they took over was a group called Judah, the small group of God's people that God had chosen out of the world to ultimately bless and serve and ultimately save the world. So they're in Babylonian captivity. But as the saying goes, all good things must come to an end. So in 539, the Babylonians are overtaken by the Persians. And the man behind the Persian Empire is a man named Xerxes. His winter palace was in the capital city of Silverthorn. Okay, actually it was Susa, but same, same difference. Just a little context for you, but that's where our story begins. Let's say that King Xerxes, I think we could say a lot about him, but the one thing we can say with absolute certainty is Xerxes liked a good party. There's a saying, I forget who said it, but the party don't start till I walk in. It's kind of how Xerxes felt about things. See, we all know people like that, don't, don't we? we? We, most of us can throw a good party. We can do a good barbecue, maybe a good picnic. We can put together a gathering, but there are those friends in our life, those people that we know that turn that party notch like way up. They, they go Pinterest party on you, basically, right? Like the ice cubes are colored and flavored and the clouds are in the right shape that you need for the day. It's like, who are you? But we all know people that can turn the party nod or a, a notch way, way up. Well, King Xerxes was one of those guys. See, in Esther 1.4, we learned that he threw a party. And the party lasted for 180 days. Now, I'm tired if I'm out late a few nights of the week or after a week-long family vacation. I don't know about you, but I don't think I could handle a party that lasted 180 days. This is quite the party. But can you imagine spending half of the calendar year in a party? Can you, remember, can you imagine students every day for one year of school, it's just a party? Yeah, yeah. I knew you could imagine that. So stop drooling, come back to me. But this was quite the party. We learned that wine was served in golden goblets. This is no red cup gathering, people. And the wine was free flowing. You could have as much of it as you wanted. Side note, here's the justification for all-inclusive resorts, just in case you were looking for a biblical justification. But as is the case with most parties that involve free-flowing alcohol and lots of it, things go from bad to worse pretty quickly. On the seventh day of the king's after-party, because, I mean, 180 days just isn't enough. We needed seven more. Well, on the seventh day of this after-party, King Xerxes calls for his queen, Queen Vashti. See, after parading his wealth around for the masses to see for the first 186 days, now, now the king wants to parade his beautiful wife around for his friends to see on the last day. Some think he demanded that she do a little strip tease for his closest friends. We're not exactly sure what the request was, 
Maybe it was her common sense, maybe it was her sense of dignity or the fact that her husband had lost touch with all of his senses, but Queen Vashti refused. And if you know anything about the ancient world, saying no, no was a huge no, no. Women did not disobey their husbands. And the queen, who is the model and example for all other women, definitely didn't say no to the king. So the king banishes Vashti from the kingdom forever. Bye-bye, Vashti. Well, after a while, he realizes that he kind of liked having a queen around. He realized that queen idea was kind of a good idea, so he decides to throw a beauty pageant to find the next one, the new one. Whoever's found to be the most beautiful virgin in all the land will become the next queen. That's where we meet our next character, Esther. Esther's one of the girls chosen to be in this pageant. Esther's parents died when she was young, and she was adopted and raised by her older cousin. We'll learn more about him in a minute. But the Bible says that Esther was more beautiful than all the other beautiful women in the land. On page 278, Esther 2.15, it says she won the favor of everyone who saw her. Basically, when Esther entered the contest, it was no longer a contest. Think about that celebrity crush that you have. For me, it's Catherine Zeta-Jones. I don't know what it is about Catherine. We're on a first-name basis, too. But her beauty just overwhelms me. And don't, don't worry, Becca's fine with this. Hers is Matt Damon. All right, we're cool. So we have a mutual understanding. If something happens to either of us, we're free to pursue. Um, but think of her beauty. Or better yet, think of her celebrity crush. That's probably how beautiful Esther was. As beautiful as beautiful gets. So Esther enters the Queen Bee Training Academy, which was pretty posh to say the least. All the candidates spent 12 months in a beauty spa. Oil of myrrh facials, deep tissue massages, perfume-infused lotions, cosmetic treatments, Pilates, yogas, nutritious meal. You know, moms, everything your kids gave you this morning. <laughs> After 12 months of pampering, it's time for Esther to go see the king. And as soon as Xerxes sees her, he knows he has found the one. But besides knowing that she's the most beautiful woman in all of the land, he doesn't know that much else about her, and that's for good reason. And that leads us to our third character in our story, Mordecai. Mordecai is Esther's cousin who adopted her after her parents died. Now, a little context into his life. During this time, when Persia took over Babylon, the new king, King Cyrus, allowed the Jews, allowed God's people to go back home if they wanted we read in the Bible that the Lord stirred Cyrus's heart so that he said, Jews, Israelites, God's people, go back to Jerusalem if you want to. And a lot of them did. As you can imagine, they'd waited 70 years to get back to that place. And finally, they're able to do it. But some decided to stay back. I mean, they had moved 70 years ago, possibly. You made a new life here in Babylon. There's no reason to get up and do all that again. So some stayed behind. And it sounds like Mordecai and Esther, well, they were two of the ones that stayed behind. So Mordecai goes to Esther one day and he's like, yeah, don't tell the king about all your past. Don't tell him about your history. Don't tell him where you're from. Don't tell him that you're a Jew, that you're a foreigner. It's not a good idea to give him all that information. So she remains pretty quiet about who she is and where she's been, what she's been through. But in addition to sharing that one piece of advice with Esther, Mordecai also shares with her something else. One day as he's doing his job, he overhears a couple of guys making an assassination attempt or making a plan to assassinate King Xerxes. So Mordecai tells Esther, who then goes tells King Xerxes, and everybody praises Mordecai. Thank you for your faithfulness to the king. Thank you for your, your courage to the king. Thank you for your devotion to the king. Everybody loves this guy Mordecai, except one man. That's our last character in the story, Haman. 
If there were ever an evil villain that you just love to hate, it would be this guy. I mean, the Wicked Witch is one thing. The Joker is another. Mother Gothel, yeah, she's pretty nasty. But Haman, Haman's about as bad as it gets. He's one of the most arrogant, angry, annoying people in all the Bible. He has one goal in life, and that's for every single person to worship him. I mean, is that asking too much? Well, Haman has a job where everybody does, in fact, bow down to him in one way or another. Everybody except, can you guess, Mordecai. Mordecai is the one who came up with that saying back in the day, talk to the hand. Mordecai did that. He did that, and he also stood up to Haman. He didn't show him the respect. He refused to bow down to this man. We're not sure why. But as is the case with most arrogant, egotistical men, Haman reacts by flying off the handle, and he goes into an angry tirade. In addition to devising a plan to kill Mordecai, Haman actually devises a plan where he will kill all of Mordecai's people. We read this in Esther 3, 8 and 9. You talk about overkill, from being angry with one guy to orchestrating a genocide. And this is going to be a tough sell. Haman knows that most people won't just take out a sword and kill a Jew randomly. So what he decides to do is he raises up the ante. He says, I'll pay anybody who wants to do this a lot of money. And we know that everybody has their price. So a few people carry it out. And we know, don't we, this won't be the first time or the last time that the Jews are targeted for extermination. But the date for this massacre is more or less determined by a roll of the dice. King Xerxes, for one reason or another, says yes to this plan. And he says, to decide on the date, though, you're going to have to kind of roll the dice. So they roll the dice, and it falls on a date that will happen 11 months out from that point. So posters and placards are put all over the city that says, in 11 months, Jews, you're good as dead. They live the next 11 months basically on death row. Can you imagine every breath you take knowing that it's probably getting to pretty close to your final breath? I mean, that's tough, isn't it? This is where the story really gets good, though. As you can imagine, the Jews are distraught by this decree, including Mordecai, who probably feels like this is all his fault, which it kind of was. So he decides to go out into the street. He covers himself with this old garment, and he takes ashes, literally ashes from a fire, and he just throws them on his head. He's in the middle of the square in front of the palace, screaming and moaning and wailing. He's just making a mess of things. Well, Esther is incredibly embarrassed by her family's behavior. And most of us can relate to this. Maybe not the ashes in the, in, the, in the fire, but you could look at mom right now and be like, yeah, remember that time at prom you did? Yeah, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was embarrassed. Thanks. Well, Esther has that same feeling. The family has done something kind of crazy, kind of odd, and she is just downright embarrassed by it. So she sends a servant out to find out what is going on. It seems as if she's completely ignorant of the fact that anything is out of the ordinary. Well, Mordecai does his best to fill in the servant. Then he pleads with her to go back to Esther, to go back into the king's presence to beg for mercy. He pleads with Esther to go to the king on behalf of all the people that are now on death row and ask the king to change his mind. Well, Esther's response is fair. She reminds Mordecai that showing up to a party uninvited, that's one thing, but showing up to the king's throne uninvited, that's another thing entirely. In fact, the one leads to kind of embarrassment, the other leads to death. There's a law that says if you show up to the king's throne uninvited, you are to be killed. And so she says this. The cousin responds, though, to her words, I'm sorry, by saying this to her. Esther 4.11, chapter 20 of our story. All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, uh, the king has but one law. They are to put to death they are to be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter. 
and then spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. So this is Esther's words. Forgive me for kind of messing that up. But this is Esther's response to Mordecai. She basically says, I can't go to the king because I haven't been asked to go to the king. And it's against the law to go if you haven't been asked. And I haven't even talked to the guy in 30 days. So it's a far cry that I'm going to be invited anytime soon. Years ago, uh, America's largest toy company, Mattel, made Barbies and G.I. Joes. Not sure if you remember these characters here. Well, in the late 70s, there was a giant mix-up. The wrong voice boxes were placed in the wrong characters. This is when they had the strings on the back, and you pulled them so they could talk. G.I. Joe's voice box was placed in Barbie, so when you pulled the string, she said in a very manly voice, Hit the ground! Now! 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 You can imagine the chaos this created at little girls' tea parties across the country. And Barbie's voice box was placed inside of G.I. Joe. So when you pulled his string, he said in a very girly voice, Let's shop till we drop, ladies. What's funny is that's the same thing you hear when you pull the string on Ryan Long. (laughs) We got you twice today, boy. But I bring up this illustration in the middle of our story because I think Mordecai in this moment more or less responds to Esther and says, you may look like a Barbie, you may feel like a Barbie, you're being treated like a Barbie, but it's time to step up and speak and act like a G.I. Joe. It's time to step up and go to the king and plead that this decree be changed. Yeah, I know it's the law and against the law to go, but you have to go. This is actually what he said, Esther 4, 12, page 282. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Pretty famous line from the scriptures. Basically what he's saying is, Esther, if you don't do this one thing, someone will. But, but I think that you have been put in this very position, in this very moment, for this very reason. Mordecai is challenging Esther here. Do you think that you're in the palace because you're so wonderful? Do you think that your fame and popularity are due to what you have done? Do you think you've been crowned the queen because of just how pretty you are? No, no, no. You are here because God wants you here. You are here because God needs you here. You are exactly where you are right now because God has called you here. And when you know it, the next words out of Barbie's mouth are, hit the ground now, now, now. Well, not exactly, but it sounds similar. Esther 4, 16. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa. Fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, well, then I perish. See, survival is no longer the most important thing in Esther's life. Swanky living in the palace is no longer the most important thing in Esther's life. Saving the lives of others is now the most important thing in Esther's life. Pray for me, she says. I'm going in. I'm going into the belly of the beast. She's no longer ignorant of or apathetic to or overwhelmed by the problems in the world. She's actually invested in them and she vows to do something about them. Now Esther might be brave, but she's not stupid, which is a a thin line that most young whippersnappers don't quite understand, do they? So she devises a plan. She puts on the royal robes. She goes with head down. She bows and she waits. 
She waits for the king to raise that golden scepter and to spare her life. We're not sure how this is going to turn out, but sure enough, the king does raise the scepter. Not only that, but he says to her, great to see you, honey. Great to see you, schnookums, whatever your little pet name is. Love you, sweetheart. It's been a long time. How are you? What can I do for you? In fact, ask for up to half the kingdom and it will be yours. Well, at this point in the story, we all know that Xerxes likes a good party. So Esther decides to throw a little banquet for him, a little party. And bring your friend Haman with you too, she says. And then an incredibly ironic and captivating turn of events that not even Hollywood producers could have dreamt up. Esther eventually reveals Haman's evil plan. You've heard of the game Hangman? Well, the rest of this chapter is Hang Haman. The king is furious. Haman makes a mess of things, ends up dying on the very pole that he made to kill Mordecai on. It's an incredible story. It's fascinating. I want you to read it if you haven't already. It's one of the greatest rescue operations of all time. But I want to stop here in our story, and I want to ask you this question. How is it that all of this happened? How is it that all of this went down? I mean, think about this. How does an unknown orphan Jewish girl living in Babylonian captivity who decides to stay back instead of go back home, how does she become the queen of the powerful Persian Empire? How do you get from from there all the way to here? How does something like that happen? Well, it happens because there's another character in our story. And he's a character that typically goes unnamed, unnoticed, unmentioned. The character is God. I don't know if you picked up on that this last week as you were reading this chapter, But God is not mentioned a single time in the book of Esther. His name is not in there. A reference to him is not in there. Nothing. But that does not mean he's not in this story. God might not be mentioned, but you can see him throughout the story, can't you? He's there as an orphan girl is adopted by her older cousin. He's there as this girl's natural beauty results in her going to the academy. He's there in her selection as the queen. He's there as she finds herself in a position to save her people. He's there as the king raises his scepter. He's there later in the story in the sleepless night of the king, in the plot of Haman, in the encouragement of Mordecai. God is in all of it. Did you see him? Did you notice him? He was sitting right behind you. Throughout scripture, we hear Jesus being referred to as the author of our faith. Isn't that a fascinating title for Jesus? He's the author of the story. The story of Esther, the story of the Bible, and your story as well. He's the one writing it all and working it all out. You may not notice him. You may not say his name. He may not announce his presence in your life with trumpets. He's not demanding that you pay attention to him. But the fact of the matter is, he's writing your story. He's the author of it. Did you see him? He was sitting right behind you. I wonder how many of us don't neglect to see him, like I neglected to see Matthew McConaughey. I wonder how many of us fail to see the providence, the plan of God play out in our lives. I wonder how many of us are sitting right next to God. We don't even realize it. You see, the invisible God is everywhere around us. On good days in the palace and on horrific days on the cross, he's the author of it all. We talked about this a few weeks ago with pain and suffering, but nothing catches him by surprise. Nothing is outside of his control. He has you in this spot in life. He has you in this position in life. You are going through this season in life, not because of some great cosmic accident, but because God needs you here right now. You are here for such a time as this. See, in the lower story of our lives, in the lower story of the Bible, we read about coincidences and we're amused. But in the upper story, in God's greater plan, there's no coincidence. Everything happens for a reason. He's not trying to amuse you. He's trying to amaze you. How a little unknown girl is the head of the known world. How does that happen? How does that even happen? There's an unseen God 
writing this story. But in addition to not recognizing God, I think we also fail to recognize some of the core truths that come out of this story. Let me share two with you, and then we'll call it a morning. The first is this. We all need a Mordecai, and they typically come in the form of our mothers, don't they? Think about this. Esther desperately needed Mordecai. Without this man, she would have remained completely clueless and completely callous to the condition of others. Without this man, Esther stays inside the palace walls while everybody outside of those walls passes away. Without this man, Esther assumes there's nothing wrong and there's nothing to do. But Mordecai calls Esther out. He pushes her out. He challenges her to break out of that mindset. And we need someone like that in our own lives, don't we? Someone who challenges us to think beyond ourselves. Someone who constantly reminds us that our calling and our purpose is not about life in the mansion. It's about living out the mission. We need somebody to do that for us. Because we're prone to self-preservation. Left to our own devices, we're going to be self-centered. We default, don't we, to comfort and ease and apathy. That's why we need Mordecai. That's why we need our mamas. That's why we need good mamas, godly mamas. Because you see, good moms... Godly moms, Mordecai's, they know that it's their job to challenge you when you start to drift away from your mission. It's to call you out when you stop to drop the ball on your responsibilities. It's their job to push you to go out when you're stuck in a rut. That's what Mordecai's do, and you need a Mordecai in your life. Some of you right now are getting so angry and frustrated with your mom. Now, there's no age, right? It can go from 10 all the way to 100. But some of us are getting frustrated with them because she's constantly pushing you. Pushing you to attend church, try harder in school, make a plan, find a girl, move out, stay out of debt, call home every once in a while, right? It's like, Mom! Call it accountability. Call it a mother's love. Call it whatever you want, but don't call it nagging. Don't you dare call it an inconvenience. Don't you dare call it being pushy or bossy or overbearing. Mordecai is trying to speak truth into your life. Mordecai is trying to save your life. Mordecai is trying to help you avoid wasting your life. But mom, come on, Mordecai. It's about your life and using it for great things. And Mordecai sees it sometimes when you can't. And so Mordecai has to speak hard truth sometimes into your life. The question is, are you humble enough to receive Mordecai's words? And are you courageous enough to do something about them? If it's not your mom, then who is it? Who do you have in your life who's going to call you out? Who's going to push you out? Who's going to call a spade a spade? Who's going to remind you of what is real and what is right? Who will show you what should be your highest priority? Who will challenge you to live your life for something greater than just luxury? Who is that for you? Have you said thank you to Mordecai lately for doing that for you? And have you been willing to be a Mordecai maybe for somebody else in your own life? There's a lot I could say here, but basically I just want to say, moms, thanks for calling us out. Thanks for being that voice, and don't stop. Don't stop being a Mordecai who's willing to say something hard to us in a moment when we most need to hear it. The second thing we learn from the story is this, right? We all need a Mordecai, but we all want life. And this life typically comes when someone else is willing to lay down their life for us. That's how life works. This story is really about life. I call it life, liberality, and the pursuit of happiness. That's the book of Esther, Everyone in this book is trying to find and fill their life, their, their soul, their heart with something. For Xerxes, it's pleasure. A 187-day party, yeah, we, we can pretty easily figure out what he's focused on. For, for Haman, it's honor, it's prestige, it's respect. For Mordecai and Esther, it's meaning and it's purpose. 
And all of us are like that. We want our life to be filled with something. We want our life to be abundant and to mean something. But that life that we want, the life that we strive for, the life that we work so hard for, it comes at a cost. And it typically costs those around us. Ask Vashti how Xerxes' pursuit of pleasure worked out for her. Ask Haman's sons how his pursuit of honor worked out for them later in our story. You see, when you strive so hard to have a life that is one thing, typically it costs somebody else their life. That's what's so amazing about this story is that all of those lives were taken, but Esther was willing to lay hers down. Her decision before the king on behalf of the Jews was at the risk of her life. But that risk, her saying, here's my life, king, brought everybody else's life over here. It didn't just bring life or true life or abundant life to Mordecai or to the Jews. But if this moment doesn't happen, if she doesn't say, King, you can have my life for the sake of everybody else's life, if that moment doesn't happen, then we might not be here. The story of God's people after this moment could look very, very different if all the Jews are eradicated. So we're here because of Esther. We're here because she was willing to lay down her life. I mean, think about the sacrificial decision that she made here. Palace life is a good life, I'm imagining. Inside Xerxes' entourage, man, it comes with a lot of perks. You thought that the Queen Bee training program sounded nice. Imagine what life as the queen would have been like. A fool would give that up. Yet here's Esther. After being challenged by her Mordecai, she's willing to lay down her life so that others might be able to experience it themselves. She is sacrificing the good life, the ideal life, the queen's life, so others will have life. And you see this play out in a lot of places, don't you? But you really see this again in the life of a mother. Nathan showed me this amazing article this past week entitled, Why Stay-at-Home Moms Should Earn $115,000. It was from 2013. Yeah, I'm not saying you're going to be. I'm just saying you, you should be. This is back in 2013. It says this, Moms are the compilation of 10 jobs in one person. Imagine writing a job description and trying to attract and retain a candidate for this role. According to the survey, typical stay-at-home mom works 97 hours a week, spending roughly 13 hours as a teacher, four hours as a household CEO, seven and a half hours as a psychologist, 14 hours as a chef, 15 as a housekeeper, six and a half doing the laundry, nine hours as a PC or Mac operator, 10 and a half as facilities manager, eight hours as janitor, 7.8 hours as chauffeur. And that's on a good week if everything falls into place. But think about this. Moms give all that up, all of that money, all that opportunity, all that fanfare, all that recognition, even if they don't stay at home. Moms give up so much stuff. It's such a sacrificial and selfless act to become a mom. From the moment that title applies to you, when you're, when you're pregnant, when you give birth, when you adopt, when you foster, you are more or less saying, I'm willing to lay down my life so others can have life. That's what you're agreeing to as a mom. Sorry to freak out all you newly married people out there. But this morning, I want to say, especially to our mothers, God is so honored by, he is so pleased with your personal sacrifices. Because the way that you have laid down your life for others has brought so many other people life, your family, but even beyond that. So thank you. Thank you for doing that. See, when you put aside your long-term plans, mom, or even just your afternoon plans, when you put yourself in harm's way, mom, when you go the extra mile or put in the extra time, when you help with the homework, when you cook the meals, when you drive all over town, when you plan the trip, when you balance the checkbook, and all you want to do is lay prostrate on the floor. 
when you do all that, when you lay your life down for others, they find life. They have life. They experience life. How do I know? How do I know that God is so pleased with this? Because a life like that, a sacrificial, selfless life that is given for the life of others, that life models Esther. But more than that, that life models our Jesus. The abundant life that we want, the abundant life that we strive for, this life that is meaningful and full and so good of things that, 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 that matters, that life, it comes to us. It's only possible for us because he gave his up for us. Does that make any sense? There was a cost to be paid. There was a price to be paid that we could have life. Someone else had to lay theirs down so we could experience it ourselves, and that happened in and through Jesus. And that happens through a lot of you as well. Moms especially, you lay it down. You lay it down. You make selfless sacrifices. You give your life. And I know you might not see it. I know you might not be thanked for it. But a lot of other people have life as a result of you laying yours down. So thank you. But let me close with these words. This is God's desire for everybody. When it comes to being a Mordecai and speaking hard truth and living for a greater purpose, that's God's desire for everybody, not just Mordecai. And when it comes to Esther, when it comes to laying your life down for the sake of others and then finding your life somehow in that, that that's, that's God's desire for everybody, not just for Esther. Jesus promised us, live for a higher calling. Live like Mordecai. Be like Esther. Give your life for the life of others. And when you do that, you will find everything you want and then some. I will give you everything you want and then some. This isn't just for heroes or moms or the pillars of the faith. This is for us. Jesus promised and Esther proves when we listen or help people live to a higher standard, when we lay our lives down for others, we will find all that we're looking for and then some. Someone pointed out to me at the end of first service, at the end of Esther, uh, it said of Mordecai that all of the people respected him and loved him because he spent every day for their good. Very different than Haman. Very different than King Xerxes. Mordecai and Esther were about others' experience of life, not just their own. Moms, thank you that you modeled that for us. Uh, we're gonna close with a song. I'm gonna invite the band up real fast. Love this song. We sing it around Christmas time for Mary. But I think right now it applies so perfectly for Esther and for our moms. If you know the words, if you remember the words, please sing along with us. Uh, if you don't, just enjoy this song. But let me pray over us uh, as we hear these words. Father, thank you for your story. What an amazing story, God. Hollywood tries to duplicate these things. They can't even get close. These are incredible tales of different people being used at different times to accomplish amazing things. Thank you for the story of Esther and the example that we see, the example of Mordecai speaking hard truth, calling us out when we need to be called out. Thank you for the example of Esther willing to give up the good life, the life we all want, so that others could have a continued life. God, thank you for that story. Thank you for our own story, God. Help us to see that you are right here in our story. You are writing it and orchestrating it just like you did with Esther and Mordecai. Maybe we don't see your name in our story. Maybe we don't reference you in our story, but that doesn't mean you're not writing it. You are orchestrating it for a, for a reason, God. You are doing things for a reason in our life. Would we partner with you? Would we see that? Would we want to be a part of that, Father? Thank you again for this story, ultimately for the story of Jesus that makes sense of all other stories, including our own. We love you and we pray that we will be brave like Esther was. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.